1: Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kevin L Jackson here with you on Supply chain Now, welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing well, Scott. My heart, in my heart, I love this
0: team. Also, <laughs> my heart can't take another game like we've had the last three of the last four weeks. Holy <laughs> man! Bro. Anyway, well, World keeps us alive. But I do feel like at times it it can uh, affect our lifespan. Well, you know,
1: uh,
0: Kevin. Look, I'm, I'm my, sorry. I, I
2: have nothing. I have, I have nothing to say. We, You know, you're only worried about football. We're worried in Washington about investigations. <laughs> <laughs> about, and a lot more. Know, That's right. If we're going to have a team, um, we can't even look at football. Oh, we, we, did, we did wind up. I can't. <laughs> You know what, but, you know, Congress, I want to tell, want to tell you, you
0: Kevin L. Jackson, I, two things that I think are great for Washington, for the commanders, which is a name that I am really, I mean, I'm really starting to like, I'm digging that name. Yeah. One, Taylor Heineke, uh-huh. who always has a particular move maneuver in every game to come up with something amazing. So I've coined the phrase Heineke maneuver. Um, and also that the Snyders might be out of NFL football forever could be the greatest gift that Washington ever gave America. Okay, well maybe, maybe George Washington. Well, maybe. you
2: know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Washington if it wasn't a congressional investigation going on. So I guess that's why.
1: <laughs> well, just look on the bright side. Both y'all could be Falcons fans uh, instead of your respective teams. So okay, uh, with that, with but, that. Hey.
0: How about Marcus Mariota? I mean, giving uh, it up for the team.
1: Yeah, Man. we'll have to more at eleven. We'll just say uh, the, <laughs> what more at eleven. More NFL analysis at eleven. But there hey, regardless, folks, Greg and Kevin, always a pleasure. Today is all about the supply chain buzz. It comes at you every mm-hmm. uh, twelve noon Eastern time every Monday. It's the digital Transformers edition of the buzz. Yes. Of course, we're we're gonna we're gonna share some of <laughs> leading stories movers and shakers across global business. And today, Greg and Kevin, we've got a special guest joining us, Alan Jacques with Canaxis. Really have yeah. enjoyed some of his thought leadership uh, that we've come across over the last uh, recent months. And again, I'm just honored
0: to be allowed to be a part of Kevin's buzz episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so. And Kevin, all right. that's all I'm I'm, to say. I'm honored to have you as a part. Why do we have this Scott guy here, by the way? I, oh, whatever. Are you kidding me? Uh, you and I have done the mic by ourselves before, and there's
0: very good reason, and they include, they include in congressional investigations as to why we are not allowed to run it ourselves.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Where
1: is that tequila, man? What's in the water this morning, I man? I, uh, y'all have got, y'all have tequila. got serious uh, buzz bringing it, uh, bringing it today. All right. So let's, we're going to say hello to a, f- a few folks in just a minute, but we want to remind everybody hey, we want to hear from you throughout the next hour. We're going to be talking through a, a variety of topics related to global business, global supply chain, and we want to hear from you throughout the hour. Okay, before we get started, Kevin and Greg, let's say hello to a few folks. Of course, big thanks to uh, Catherine and Amanda behind the scenes helping to make production happen, uh, Chantel and Clay, the whole gang. Uh, Shashi tuned in from UAE. Shashi, great to see you as always. Uh, Gene Pledger, old Gino, Greg Gino. and yeah. Kevin. Great to well, see he you there. should never
0: told us that he goes by that. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make him change his LinkedIn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Shelly Phillips is back with us. Shelly, uh, Kevin and Greg has been sh- dropping some serious knowledge on our streams. We love that as has uh Glorimar been doing yeah. the same. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate what they bring to the table. And it's a yeah. lot. I mean,
0: seriously, if you Follow our commentaries, our posts, or any of these shows. I mean, they're. I mean, they both and lots of others, of course, bring a ton of knowledge. It's great to have that additional perspective on on what we are talking about. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you and
2: I like to also shout out to our uh, followers. I mean, we're getting close to a thousand followers on the uh, Digital Transformers uh, LinkedIn site. Thank wow. you, thank you.
1: Yeah, that's and, awesome. Yeah, that's one of our newest sites. So it's been. Right. A, hey, I knew it was coming, Kevin. You're a yeah. rock and roll star, <laughs> man. Uh, so, uh, but I do want to point out, uh, David Glover. So yesterday the World Cup began. Right today, the U.S. men's national team kicks off their, um, their World Cup experience against Wales at two o'clock mm-hmm. yeah. Eastern Time. So David, we'll keep our eye on uh, eye on the match here this afternoon. Okay. Greg and Kevin, are we ready to get, get started? We've got to, again, we got Alan Jacques with Canaxis joining us about twelve twenty five, and we got three stories. We got to work our way through between now and then. Y'all ready? Let's go. Yes, sir. All right, so let's do this. So up first, I want to talk about healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. So Gartner recently announced its healthcare supply chain top twenty five for twenty twenty two, and want to offer up our big congrats to the top ranked Cleveland Clinic. Um, as well as the continued success of the Mayo Clinic and Intermountain Healthcare, who both maintain their prestigious master's ranking. So you can see there on the graphic, uh, you got a top, whole top 25 there Cleveland Clinic number one, Banner Health number two, Corwell Health number three. And congrats to each of these folks uh, and their organizations, their um, uh, supply chain prof- uh, professionals for. Uh, taking care of all of their um, stakeholders and patients and um, ecosystems there. So, congrats to especially the top-ranked Cleveland Clinic. Uh, Greg, when you think of healthcare supply chain, um, you know to some degree, I think maybe uh, the supply chain community doesn't doesn't uh, recognize what these folks are doing as much as other aspects of global business, perhaps. But as we know, as patients. And as recipients of the service, we recognize them. Your quick thoughts, Greg?
0: Well, we either recognize this, recognize it, or we don't recognize it. But either way, we live or die through it. Literally. <laughs> That's for sure, right? I mean, I think um, it's underestimated in, in the general public. But I can tell you, having worked with a lot of of healthcare companies and healthcare distributors who provide goods to these hospital systems and things like that. That they take it very, very seriously, and it, it and it is, and they acknowledge frequently and repeat constantly that it is literally life or death. Yeah. Right. So um, I think it's Im- important to understand the sophistication with which some of these operate, and the incredible uh, effort in some cases in the absence of sophistication that they have, or in, in the absence of technology or other enabling capabilities that they have to make this happen one way or another, by hook yep.
1: or by crook. <laughs> well said, Greg. Uh Kevin, your quick thoughts.
2: Well, when you think about the healthcare um supply chain, uh, think about, you know, what they have to do after the product is delivered. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, you don't you don't just go and 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 get medicine and just Go right. away and you right. buy your next uh, medicine. That um, uh, continuing monitoring is part of the supply chain. It's information they gotta know that something delivered to you that is doing what it needs to be needs to do that you don't have to change it, you don't have to update it. And and think about it as we transition into uh, telemedicine. It's you know the the endpoints are your house. It's mm. it's everywhere, um, so to be a leader in healthcare supply chain, it it's more than just any supply chain.
1: Yeah, stakes are stake as as you and Greg point out, stakes are high, and you know the last few years, of course, um, the whole healthcare community, um, you know, one of the several lines of the pandemic has really brought their stories to the forefront. So, congrats, to everybody. Uh, we, we all appreciate all the great work and, and um, expertise and service and blood, sweat, and tears that you put yes. into uh, delivering health care for all. Okay. Moving right along, I'm going to hit this next story here. So, Kevin, as we all know, mm-hmm. uh, all things digital continue to transform supply chains everywhere. This story here from our friends at DBS Interactive focuses on how digital is shaping one of our favorite industries, the manufacturing industry. <laughs> so, Kevin. Tell us a little more.
2: Yeah, so you know the the pandemic really amplified the vulnerabilities, the structural vulnerabilities of the global industrial supply chain, uh, the shortages for, of everything, right? And we're still are kind of recovering uh, from that, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but during the COVID crisis, the most challenging needs were were largely met, by stretching um, the the power and reach of the internet to connect to buyers with Mm -hmm. manufacturers. But it's really affected uh, about four specific areas, right? In research and development, product design, digital has enabled R&D through innovations such as simulations and and the digital twins or digital copies of actual physical products uh, in procurement, procurement is is more than just traditional sourcing strategies and uh, research for negotiating pricing. Uh, Ke- with Kevin,
1: really quick, as Greg, uh, as we learned in recent weeks, it's more than three bids and a cloud of dust, right? Retirement has changed
2: dramatically. Right. Yeah, Wes Kelly, right? Dial, uh, <laughs> dial, dial P for that answer. But you really have to... Uh, with digital, you can have make better decisions and ensure that you're spending wisely. Uh, and in manufacturing and uh, production, the way products are designed and fabricated, used, operated, and serviced post-sale has, has changed trem- tremendously. And when you're looking at something that may be considered bland and boring, like warehousing logistically, Um, you know, typically it's just about lean warehousing, you know, but now uh, digital technologies are being driven by artificial intelligence and predictive analytics model. So you can do things like footprint optimization, intelligent routing, and intelligent sourcing. Mm.
1: Greg, some of your thoughts there. Yeah, I, um,
0: I often wonder how companies ever operated other than a, a warehouse the size of a garage without technology, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I come from a retail world where we had a warehouse man. I mean, and we were kind of late to the party. We had a warehouse management system in 1991. I was just a baby then, um, and. <laughs> I mean, we were literally the very first implementer of of a product that Manhattan Associates, which is a well known uh, warehouse management company, um, can't even remember what the heck it's called, but it seems like it had Peak or something in the name of it, PKMS. That's what it was. Ah. Um, and um, and that was like 1991 or 92, and the manufacturers have to some extent resisted or just barely existed with so many manual processes and so many non-digital solutions really reflects on two things in in their segment of the supply chain. And that is one, their gross margins are truly gross in all capital letters. Uh, um, <laughs> which means their net margins are, um, ab- would be abhorrent to most of us. You know, for instance, whereas a retailer – we, as a retailer, made 3 to 5% net margin after taxes. Our manufacturers routinely made between 9 and 25% net margin
2: mm.
0: after taxes. Yeah. So they've been able to be sloppy, for one. They've also been, had the plausible deniability of having distributors and retailers out in front of them facing the customers and taking the bullets. And believe me, as a retailer, I can assure you of that taking the bullets from the consumers for things being out of stock or being late or being excessively costly or of poor quality, all of that. But since the great toilet paper shortage of 2020, everyone (laughs) understands all those aspects of supply chain. And as I say repeatedly, there is nowhere to hide. And now these manufacturers not only should and should have 30 years ago advanced their supply chain to the level that that Kevin is talking about, or maybe not to the level Kevin's talking about, because the robust data that's available today was not available then, but at right. least steps towards that were available 30 years ago, and they've eschewed many of those opportunities. Oh, that's that's awesome. why digital transformation has to happen for them, because now it's their brand equity that's at stake, not just profitability in the supply chain or gross or net margin it's the identity of their company that's at stake they have the money to do it they just have to commit to it and they have to now catch up with industries that we you know we consumers have long thought of as laggards and in fact the laggards are the leaders the retailers and distributors have far more advanced supply chain systems and digital capabilities than most manufacturers do so There's a lot that can be learned throughout the supply chain. It's time that manufacturers do so. And they have skipped three generations of technology to this level, which gives them a huge advantage, frankly, because all of those incremental things that we learned from PKMS and all the subsequent systems that we added over the last 30 years, my gosh, it's been 30 years. (laughs) Um, we have suffered the slings and arrows of that growth in technology, and now that it is a quantum leap from where they are, it's also a quantum leap from where we started. And they don't have to go through all that painful growth right. of technology mm-hmm. and data, and can basically leap to the t- top of the food chain. Well said.
2: Right. Um, I think it's more than their identity; though it's their existence, because as yeah, all products and services transition to digital, if you if you don't. Um, leverage its advanced technology, you will no longer exist.
1: That's right. Uh, I was going to say, uh, uh, Quantum Leap, you said there five times or so, Greg. Great TV yeah, show see. as well. <laughs> Great TV wow. show. Uh, it's been rebooted. But hey, we, we're just kind of talking about how digital is shaping the manufacturing industry. And I think one important thing to also point out is is the, the is the newfound visibility that we've seen across global supply chains in recent years, how we're applying that to our your entire supply base. Right. For operational reasons, but also for some of the brand risk, Craig, due to some bad actors and, and some of the things that we we all know have been, have been going on. Yeah. Uh, modern slavery and, and other things. So, hey, that business leaders got to take advantage of of how digital is shaping and the opportunities. It's really opened up outside the four walls. So good hmm. stuff there, Greg and Kevin. Um, okay, we're gonna hit one more uh, news story before we bring our, our special guest on Al, uh, Alan Jocks. Jock, I'm sorry, Alan Jacques with Canaxis is joining us here. Yes, the
0: S is silent because it's French, and and they love to throw in silent letters here and there just to me- <laughs> just to prove that we're all idiots. Wait,
1: <laughs> well, hey, let's let's cover this development here. Uh, So, Microsoft is making some news as the company is rolling out a new supply chain product in tandem with customers such as Kraft Heinz and Daimler. So, Kevin, tell us more here.
2: We're talking about digitalization. So, Microsoft now has, they're taking their supply chain platform and they're harmonizing, harmonizing the data estate to introduce the command center uh, for um, enterprise supply chains. The supply chain center is designed to work natively uh, natively within organization, supply chain data and applications with built in collaborations, supply and demand insights and order management. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and they are making it really easy for customers to realize the value of the Azure Microsoft Cloud for their supply chains. Um so it provides the building blocks across Azure Dynamics Dynamics 365, Microsoft Teams, and a power platform for customers to develop or independently adopt capabilities uh, for their supply chain needs. Um, and uh, if you don't yeah. mind a, a, a I'd also like to basically shout out to Microsoft as one of our newest customers. In the upcoming series, we'll be delivering.
1: Very cool. Uh, a lot of good stuff there going on. Greg, your thoughts around what Microsoft just rolled out? Yeah, I think
0: it. I think it's great that they have developed this platform. You know, they have evolved their capabilities from literally having no accounting, finance, ERP, whatever you want to call it, capabilities, to accumulating three different significant technologies, um, Navision, something that starts with an A, which I forget, and um, Great Plains into this dynamic suite, which is a really robust uh, technology suite. And they're using that as a leverage point to connect all the companies that are connected uh, or integrated into that suite to provide both point solutions, which it's funny. It's funny we were talking about this. We're talking about this today because I just had this commentary discussion today about Mm -hmm. how people think ERP does supply chain. It doesn't. And you need all these point solutions that are integrated to all these ERPs. So if you get a chance, take a look at my commentary on J&J Snacks, which is Sour Patch Kids, by the way. But using this as a catalyst and as a leverage point for companies to reach a bunch of these point solutions that are much, much more effective, go a lot deeper and have a lot greater capabilities than an ERP could ever hope to provide. I think having that kind of marketplace and, uh, you know, available to companies is really, really powerful.
1: Well said, Greg. Sour Patch Kids, huh? Kevin, you a big fan of Sour Patch Kids?
2: You know, I... Um, no, no, <laughs> no, I'm not either, but I have kids, so I know All what they are, I know what they are, I have had them in my mouth, yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> y'all check out, uh, going back to what we just wrapped there, uh, check out the Microsoft news from our friends there at Supply Chain Dive to learn a lot more about, uh, the recent developments. I wonder okay. if they had as much fun talking about
0: WWE with Kraft Heinz as we did.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, all right. So right before we bring in our our guests here today, I want to share a couple of quick comments. Uh, Gene Pledger says, "Sorry, Greg. I wish I had a great story and how I got my nickname, but it's what my friends have called me since before time." And since <laughs> my friends are here, time. before
2: I the I was big bang.
0: <laughs> uh, Gene is appropriate, ate. and I that's I I I really think you have enough friends now, Gene, that you could just change your identity. Just assume we're all friends. And change That's your right. profile. That's just how was that for a pitch line right there?
1: <laughs> just keep banging the drums. I you just know. want to see if he'll do it. <laughs> um, now, Shelly is going back to the uh, the warehouse comments earlier. Greg, that was impressive. I had a spiral notebook, a credit card machine, and a label printer back, I guess, so, in those th- times.
0: So I, I do have, thank wow. you, first of all, Shelley, And I do have to acknowledge that at what was then called Northern Automotive, now Riley Automotive. We were way ahead of of our time, I think. I, I didn't really realize it because it was one of my first jobs. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of young and dumb, but I... Um, you
2: were never dumb. You may have been young at one time, but you were never dumb.
0: Okay, thank you. That's very kind of you, Kevin. All right, more tequila for you. Um <laughs> But, but it is possible that we were ahead of even retailers. But even since that, right, I've seen so many retailers. I've done 2,000-plus technology implementations in my life. Wow. Man. Mm. And live to tell about it. Um, and I've seen the, that level of sophistic- sophistication at retail, and I've seen it continue to grow, and at, and at distribution even, which is almost a forgotten part of the supply chain. But they have some incredibly advanced capabilities. Mm. All of that tied to that low, low margin. They have to be super efficient because their gross and net margins are so low and under constant attack by both the consumer Mm. and their suppliers, which are these manufacturers who make such incredible gross margins. So they had to be efficient way back when. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there were plenty of people and I have seen plenty of people and I've taken plenty of companies from using a clipboard or spreadsheets or or something like that yep. to an actual technology, which today we wouldn't consider a digital transformation, but it's at least a step in the right direction.
1: Okay. Okay. Good stuff there. One final comment, uh, from our dear friend, Tom Valentine, good old TV. Happy Thanksgiving to my awesome friends at SCN and all who serve in the logistics sector. Best to you and your families. Tom, it's a great point and, and all mm-hmm. the best to you and your family. Uh, but, you know the make
2: people, sure you get that turkey on my table. <laughs> That's right's right But Tom's Costco
0: this weekend by the way. right.
1: Uh, <laughs> but kidding aside to Tom's point, the people that keep moving global supply chains ahead, you know some many of them are, are going to be working throughout the week, uh, including first responders, our, our men and women in military you know, serving that a lot, a lot of those folks aren't going to be home for the holidays. so big thanks to mm-hmm. all of those individuals and the roles they play. And Tom, great to see you. Okay, so Greg and Kevin, we have Mm -hmm. got a great guest with us here today. I want to welcome in. Are y'all ready? Two thumbs up. Ready to dive in deep? This is going to be good. Uh, I want to bring in uh, Alan Jacques, Industry Thought Leader with Conexus. Hey, Alan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Scott. It is so great to have you here. Uh, I've been a big fan of of a lot of thought leadership you put out there via articles and social and some some events you've been a part of. So great to have you here with Greg and Kevin. So, Alan, uh, are you ready for a fun warm up question here today? Oh, boy.
3: Yeah. But first of all, Scott, I want to say I've watched a ton of your sessions. uh, Never dreamed that I would be on one of them. And I (laughs) I can only think of Wayne's World. We're not. Maybe it should be us, Alan. Oh, Alan! Thank you for joining us,
1: man. Man, uh, you're too kind. I really appreciate that. And uh, of course, a bunch of our friends over at Canaxis. uh, uh, We love what y'all do over there and how you do it. Um, Okay, so Alan, uh, I want to start with. So, what a great segue, Wayne's World, right? An iconic movie back in the day. So, on uh, tomorrow. It marks the 27th anniversary of the release of the movie Toy Story. So released on November 22nd, 1995, it was the first major motion picture that was created completely by computer generated animation. And it changed the whole industry, right? So with that as a backdrop, whether you're a Toy Story fan or not, there's been 27 sequels come out ever since, right? Mm, um, yeah. I want to start with Alan. I'm going this to our entire panel. But what is your one of your favorite all-time animated films? Alan.
3: I would have to go to Japanese anime and say Howl's Moving Castle. And oh. it was really one of my children who introduced me to that. And uh, I, I, just, I just really fell in love with uh, that and, and the other movies that, you know, that they did.
1: Alan, it's like the golden age of anime is what I understand here in recent years, mm-hmm. right? Yes, There's absolutely. Tons of people
0: watching it. I mean, I yeah, well, I have a niece who watches almost nothing but specifically Korean anime.
1: Really?
2: I, wow. Yeah. yeah. My my daughter's baking Japanese, well, yeah. anime. So, Kevin,
1: let's stick with you then. Uh, so, beyond anime, or maybe maybe part of the anime world, what's one of your favorite all-time animated films?
2: Well, you know, actually. Uh, I would have to say the Incredibles. <laughs> yeah. Man, maybe I'm going off spirit. the res- Yeah, maybe I'm going off the reservation here. But it it, it seemed mm-hmm. like it was uh that was the first like animated movie that I saw that that really felt like it was real people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so
1: yeah. the Incredibles. Where is, uh, Super Super?
2: Yeah, it's my super suit. Yeah, (laughs) but it was—it was, you know, it was—it was uh, very enjoyable. It was, uh, you know, it was sort of an adult movie animation. Okay,
0: all right, Greg. It was like it was kind of like Warner Brothers. It had a it had a grown up message for kids, and the message was good too. Yeah, it's a good message. It's a great one. Mm -hmm. So I would say. Uh, Incredibles is probably my number two, only to Aladdin, and Aladdin, not because there was any, like, real message there. I mean, there was, of course, mm-hmm. right? Be yourself kind of thing, but but just the pure fun, the explosive action, right? And, and of course, um, the great... Acting of of that thing, I just I keep going back to Aladdin. I was so glad my kids were young when Aladdin came out. <laughs> and I had an excuse to watch that thing every single week. So
1: love it, yeah. love it. Uh, I would throw in there some really some, some older classics, Charlotte's Web. I love that as a kid. I still love the story there. Um, Animal Farm, which you know dates back the story dates back from the uh, late forties, early fifties, and a great animated film. That came later. I didn't Um, even know there was an animated film. Oh, it's great. I read the book. So, uh, Leah Luton, AKA my mom, uh, from Aiken, South Carolina, loves the Incredibles too. I love that. Amanda's big fan of Aladdin. Um, Amanda also is big fan of Tangled and Frozen. And that, those are to your point, Greg, uh, really all three of y'all's points. You're all kind of brought your kids into it. Um, Man, hanging out with my daughters in particular as we went Mm -hmm. to the Frozen performance at Walt Disney World a couple years back. That was very special. Um, Okay. So we got to get down to work, Uh, Alan and Greg and Kevin, (laughs) right? And I want (laughs) to work, work, work. I want to start.
2: uh, No, I'm allergic to that. This is supposed to be fun. No
1: allergies. That's right. All fun. Uh, (laughs) So, Alan, one of my favorite things that you do regularly is is publish these articles, right? That more than whatever, 220 characters, whatever Twitter's up to now. I mean, these are really deeper pieces. And a a few months back, you wrote this one interesting article focused on changing the way we should think about contract manufacturing organizations. So, Alan, tell us a lot more here.
3: Sure. Um, So just as a little bit of background, my whole career has been pretty much in the pharmaceutical space, most of that in supply chain, but I've also been on the manufacturing side. And I've worked with contract manufacturers pretty much from the beginning until recently when uh, when I joined Canaxis. And um, and I've had, uh, I would say I've had the good, the bad, and the ugly as far <laughs> as experiences go with contract manufacturing. And um, by the way, Greg, you want to talk about um, obscene margins? <laughs> you have to come to my industry. Yeah, no okay. kidding. <laughs> but...
0: Um, yeah well, gross is in all capital letters in that industry isn't it
3: Alan? yeah yeah there are good reasons for it but i won't, I won't yeah be, no I'm, doubt. I'm defensive today um <laughs> so in contract manufacturing it really even the big pharmaceutical companies use contract manufacturers and, and they use them because they don't want to invest in technology or they realize that they're they'll never be the best at that technology Uh, but you also see it in very small companies who are all virtual they have no internal manufacturing everything is external and so i um so i've you know i've kind of been in that world for a long time and um i'll talk about the good experiences um so years ago we we were launching or we had launched a multi-billion dollar product And, and it was going through its growing stages and at that time we had a strategy that we would start out contract manufacturing, see how the product did, and then build our own facilities. And at that time, we we had a contract manufacturer for what we called the drug substance. It's a protein, it was a monoclonal antibody. And, um, And we worked extremely well with that manufacturer to the point that we were sharing information with them on what true demand was, how our markets were doing, uh, we had another party who had North America, we had rest of the world. So it was two manufacturers and that contract manufacturer. And we, we got to the point where we actually included that contract manufacturer in our SNOP meetings. Okay. So we, you know, we had no reason not to give them full visibility as, you know, to what was happening in their organization. And because of that, I mean, this company, when they said yes, they meant yes. When they said no, they meant no and there was never a maybe, and they always delivered. Uh, we just had a very high level of trust between the two parties. And so I'm going back like 20 years ago, and to this day, I'm still in contact with three people from, from that contract manufacturing. I, I haven't worked with them, you know, in years, but, you know, that was kind of the level of relationship that we developed. And then um, recently when I was with Leo Pharma, a Danish pharmaceutical company, um, we had another uh, situation where we had internal syringe filling capacity and uh, the market was growing. We were having some manufacturing issues and we needed to go back to a contract manufacturer that we had discontinued several years earlier. So we had burned some bridges Um, we were we were in a really desperate uh, situation internally. And at that time, I had responsibility for what we called external manufacturing at Leo. Um, so basically, the relationship had been managed by procurement in the past. But now we got back in the door, we started talking to them. It was very awkward, but finally they agreed to do volumes for us. And I decided, you know, From the very beginning, I was personally going to get involved in that relationship. I was going to be in every meeting. uh, And I I was at a VP level. So, you know, typically you would have several levels below you managing that. But this was so important that that I got involved right from the beginning. I I even did the minutes from all of our meetings in public. (laughs) Um, That was must. Must read material, I'm sure. (laughs) I read that article, that was pretty impressive.
0: Level of engagement, right there,
3: yeah. Because we, we really, you know, we really had a lot of ground to cover because of our past relationship. And so, what happened was they start, we, we not only needed manufacturing volume, but we needed to introduce new fill sizes, which is a tech transfer and an approval process, you know, regulatory. We had to go to higher volume equipment, filling equipment, again, tech transfer, regulatory filings. And, uh, and we also needed to implement uh, visual inspection, automated visual inspection at this contract manufacturer. So in the pharma world, every time you make a change like that, you know you, you've got to file it in all the countries where you're selling that product and you have to wait till you get approval. Uh, before you can implement. So it became quite complex. We were very dependent on them for these projects. So so I I became very involved with the team. I became very involved on their side and knowing exactly what was happening with each of the projects, what the issues were. And then I developed a very close relationship with their head of industrial manufacturing for that company. Um, And and I decided from the very beginning, I'm gonna be totally open uh, with you. I'm going, if we make a mistake, you know, I'm going to tell you up front. And he returned that transparency and trust to me. And again, we developed a very good relationship. Um, you know, we, we would have phone calls when something was coming up. I never wanted it to be a surprise in a meeting. So I would give him a call ahead of time. And uh, he wrote some very kind words to me in an email once that I I will keep for the rest of my life. Uh, just wow. you know, saying that he's never had that level of trust with us, you know, with a uh, customer before. So,
1: I love that. So wow. all, and I'm gonna get Kevin and Greg, you know, all to comment in just a second. But all of this, what Alan's describing, really rolls up into uh, you know changing uh, how we do business and the status quo with uh, contract manufacturers. And the biggest thing I heard there. Uh, Greg and Kevin is the abundance of transparency and all these other actions that really built uh, extraordinary amounts of trust, Um, you know, bring, even to bring them into the sales and operations planning uh, sessions. Uh, You know, how can we move mountains together? But uh, Greg, get you to comment first on what you heard there from Alan. Uh,
0: Well, I mean, I think that's so necessary, right? I mean, you have to treat a contract manufacturer and Alan, if I'm co-opting your words, Forgive me, but I mean I feel this way too. I've probably just been prompted in this thought by reading your article. But um, you have to treat them like they're part of your internal team, uh-huh. right? And you have to treat your internal team, your internal, let's call them adjacent departments. I don't want to say silos, but if you you got to treat your in internal adjacent teams just like they're your team. No boundaries, right? Complete transparency, that openness, and also understanding of of each organization's respective goals. It's absolutely critical. So I worked with Henry Schein, who had kind of a passport thing where when you got hired on at Henry Shine, you had to learn what all of the adjacent departments did. And you, you created this incredible clarity of purpose by understanding what their individual goals are and how that contributes, or in some time, in some cases, you know, actually detracts from the overall corporate goals. And it allows you to reconcile that. But most importantly, it allows you to have that understanding that promotes trust and allows you to feel comfortable with the transparency that Alan is talking about. Yeah.
1: Well said, Greg. Uh,
0: Kevin, love to
1: get your thoughts here.
2: Well, first of all, I mean, when you read that article, you you, you think about um, earlier times when everyone was in physical meetings and, and that you would build these relationships one-on-one because you'd go to dinner or go to breakfast, shake hands, and and it was really drink important. Tequila. Yeah, drink to tequila, yeah. It was always it's important to realize everyone was human and to, to reach out to that humanity um, of your business partner. Well In digital transformation, I fear many organizations and companies forget that even though you're building an ecosystem digitally, you still need to recognize the humanity of your part, especially contract uh, uh, manufacturers, for instance. So, you know, although it's just email and it's not a meeting or it's, or it's a web um, meeting and not a physical meeting, you still need to realize that, you know, they're people too. And you have to still build a relationship um, um, across the wires. <laughs> so so right. the, yeah. the story, the lesson from that article still rings true. Yep, that's that's what's important.
3: Thank Kevin, you, Kevin. Think about you were talking Alan. about digital twins, but think about getting to the level of trust where you include suppliers and contract manufacturers as part of your digital twin. That's, yes, yeah, that's where I want to see things go. Alan, I'm
0: curious: how rare is what you described
3: or what you did? How rare is that even today? Oh, I I have no idea, to be honest, because my experience is pretty narrow in that world. But I think they, I mean, I've seen people treat suppliers and contract manufacturers transactionally, trying to get the best price, you know, trying to push them on cost and everything. Uh, But I've always kind of believed that you have to, do you want your, you know, suppliers and contract manufacturers working for you or do you want them working with you? Right. Everyone would say with, and the only other thing I would say is you can't do it with every supplier, every contract manufacturer. It's you you don't have the bandwidth, so you have to pick and choose.
1: Yep. Um. All right. So, and and Alan, I loved uh, as you kind of wove in certain parts of your story where some of those exchanges and certainly the relationships are still so valuable to you today. Kind of just as a human, I think that uh, I love hearing stuff like that. So I appreciate you sharing uh, that story. And folks, we dropped you know, don't take our word for it. We dropped the link to the article across all the social channels there. So you can read um, Al, uh, the full length of Alan's experiences there. how we got to change, how we think about and act towards our contract manufacturing partners. Mm. Um, okay. So let's move right along. we got got the second topic here. So Alan, I, lo- <laughs> I love this this title. We're talking biopharma and supply chain performance execution. The title of this supply chain velocity, an oxymoron, and biopharma. <laughs> so, Alan, tell us more.
3: Yeah, this has not made me very popular. Uh, with <laughs> Join the club. Truth to power.
2: Alan- truth to power. <laughs>
3: yeah, truth is not always popular. <laughs> but I, I, I'll give you some good examples. So I, I started this article off by telling uh, about an experience. So when I was living in Belgium, I worked for Baxter, which made blood bags. Right, one of the biggest manufacturers, or actually the biggest for blood bags and other types of IV bags. And um, we used to go and donate blood, just so we could see the batch number on the blood bag, just so we could see. We knew the manufacturing date, so all we wanted to know is how how long did it take from when we made that blood bag until it was used for a collection, and um, and. One of the guys, and I posted a picture recently on LinkedIn from my old team back then, and, and the person I'm mentioning is in that picture. Uh, but he came running into my office one day and he says, I just gave blood. And it was like in April. And he said, the blood bag was manufactured in February. So it took two months, right? And he was uh-huh. just super excited. So this is going back a long time ago. We were really focused on cycle time and velocity and things like that. And the quote I really like is um, I heard uh, at a conference is, cycle time as a single metric may be the best measurement of an organization's health. And I heard that a long time ago and I really like to go back to that that quote because I really believe it. So then I got into the pharma world. So back then I was med devices. So then I got into the pharma world. And next time you go in, to the pharmacy and get a prescription, look at the expiration date on uh, what you get. And uh, I had an experience once I was I was taking Lipitor and I went in to get my prescription. I looked at, well, actually I was taking the generic, so I won't put any, <laughs> any companies in the spotlight here. Um, but I I looked at the expiration date, it, it had like eight months left on it, right? And I know that when that tablet was compressed, it had a three-year shelf life. So, what in the hell happened over the last almost two and a half years? Why right. did it take two and a half wow. years from when that tablet? I mean, then you're talking about basically packaging, you know, bottles, blisters, whatever. Then distribution and all that. And uh, and I see it all the time. Look at you know when you buy an over-the-counter medication. Look at look at the shelf life, and uh, you'll be really surprised. And I think it was Accenture. Years ago, identified like forty-six billion dollars of excess inventory just in the U.S. healthcare sector. And, and you started off, Scott, by talking about the top, you know, healthcare companies, mm-hmm. and and I and that's the reason. I mean, cycle times are long within a company, right? They're they're variable, um, but there's a lot of inventory. There's inventory everywhere. Everyone's buffering against something. And uh, that's probably one of the reasons why the pandemic didn't really impact, uh, you know, the pharma world as much as it did right. other industries. <laughs> and and well, that three years reason- of time supply is basically what you're saying, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So basically, it boils down to anywhere you have inventory. Guess what? You're eating into shelf life, and uh, you know, and and so when you look at that picture, so, and and you know, the industry they don't really trust each other. You know, the wholesalers, the Distributors, the manufacturers, everyone's trying to get their piece of that huge margin, and um, and you just don't see the collaboration. Um, I think of what's it called, CPFR, collaborative planning, forecasting, and replenishment. That's a really old acronym. Uh, you you just don't see it. You don't see that level of trust I was talking about on the manufacturing side, and you know this is a huge win-win. And uh, I could talk for another half hour about some of the technology that's in place to allow that to happen, like serialization, track and trace technology that's being implemented. Yep. So
1: hmm. Alan, uh, I really appreciate um, what you're, you're bringing to the table here today. And, and, and really, the, the, the first article, there's some very strong common themes to this, uh, what you're describing from a biopharma standpoint. Um, Kevin, let's start with you yeah. first. Your quick comments on what you're hearing Alan share.
2: Well, what I hear is cost, cost, cost. If people are buffering, um, how much cost is it to put that on a shelf in a, a warehouse? And how much cost is added to that Lipitor pill? Uh, because you are paying for it sitting on the shelf for two years before you did it and it only has eight months of, of, sh- of, uh, u- use a bit of life left mm. in it. You know, it's like, how, how much cheaper could the drugs, um, be if you manage the supply chain better? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like two thirds of the cost is just everybody buffering, buffering, buffering. Mm. Um, that's scary. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's a great question to pose. Uh, Kevin, uh, Greg, your thoughts. Well, I know the answer to it, and that is a
0: lot, a lot less expensive, <laughs> but not as expensive, at least in the States, not as in as inexpensive as if we stopped charging U.S. consumers rates that are orders of magnitude higher than we charge in developing countries. Because what happens mm-hmm. is the reason that our medical costs are so high, particularly as regards pharma, is because they practically give these drugs away in in third world countries and and um, you know and, and developing nations, and somebody has to pay for it, and that's 100 percent of the time the U.S. consumer and the U.S. distributor and the U.S. manufacturer. There's this, there is this, and one of the reasons that time supply gets so long is because there is this long-held practice called diverting. They have a much more elegant name for that. Than they used to. And now um, the manufacturers are a lot more active in trying to controvert that. But companies that could buy the very same drug in the States go to Africa or South America and buy it for a tenth of the price and then wow. import it to the US. And of course, when you go to these third world backwaters, all that takes time to accomplish. Um, now, that practice, I believe, has been largely, um, I don't know. Uh, an expert in the industry, a current expert in the industry, but but up as, as recently as 15 years ago, that was really a very, very common practice where the sales of, say, Merck would be down in the U.S., but up overall as the distributors and healthcare systems would go to Africa, go to South America, go to some of these other third world countries and buy the goods and reimport them to the United States because they can get them less expensively, even after they've been sold into health systems around the world than they can get directly from the supplier.
1: Yep. Well, you know, uh, it goes without saying that uh, for a variety of reasons, including the, the ever changing demographics here in the States, where there's going to be more uh, pressure and more patients put on our healthcare system, we're going to have to get better and better. At uh, supply chain management within healthcare, and I, I love how Gartner puts a focus. I think this is the 14th year in a row they've been publishing these rankings, and I can only imagine mm. some of the knowledge share that it, that helps uh, give uh, the healthcare supply chain industry. So, a couple quick so comments, that point, Scott. Though yeah. I think we have to acknowledge in the
0: states that the entire world is is on our healthcare system
2: mm. because mm. we
0: are. I mean, that supplementation of all of these countries that pay virtually nothing for those drugs, we're paying for those American mm. citizens. And American companies are paying for those drugs so that they can be sold at incredibly low prices around the world. So we have to, at some point, air this dirty little secret and, 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 and take some pressure, I think, frankly, off some of these pharma companies who are doing this because they're being mandated to do this by various regulatory agencies and or nations around the world.
2: Yeah, I uh, I maybe you should look at it more as a a badge of honor, right? You know, this is why it cost. Don't try to keep squeezing it. Yeah, I agree. I think. I mean, we're know, paying for it now. At least world.
0: if we knew, we could we could hold it up as something good that we're doing around the world, rather than villainizing right. these these biopharma com- yeah, bio companies as if they're making huge profits. They are making huge profits in the states, but overall, that's being mitigated by the volumes that they're
1: selling
2: it
0: at less than cost around the globally. world. All yeah. right.
1: All right. Greg and Kevin, uh, we're going to add that to the slate at 11. Come back for NFL analysis and a lot more discussion about <laughs> biopharma. Um,
0: hey, Greg, Alan,
2: we're being, uh, the hook is being put yeah, around. Our you, our, right. Well, Alan, talked again, enough.
0: This is, Scott wants this to remain a secret.
1: Yes. <laughs> Alan, I'll give you the last word here, and then we're yeah, going to make right. sure folks know what Canexus does.
3: Last word. Um, with all due respect, Greg, I don't fully agree with you, but let's do that offline.
2: Uh, <laughs> I want to watch. I want to
3: get some. Oh, no, to there's ring. not going to be any foul language, but I, <laughs> no. Yeah I, so. I, yeah, I have to speak on behalf of my, uh, you know, my background. So,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right, so folks, we've also dropped the link to the uh, biopharma article in the chat. Y'all check that out, and you can comment. Uh, give Alan your take there. Uh, I'm sure he, Alan strikes me as someone that really welcomes those exchanges, uh, you know, over a, a, an adult beverage or a cup of coffee or you name it. So, Alan, appreciate your thought leadership. Uh, Corinne's weighing in here. Corinne says, this example underscores how important it is to maintain shelf life information. And remember that pharma will always focus first on never out that's versus optimize inventory. Because
0: uh, life saving, right? That's
1: right. Life and death. That's right, Greg. Um, Okay. So, Alan, uh, uh, you and the Canaxis team has brought some resources that we're going to share with folks here in just a minute. But, hey, for the three people out there, uh, we've really enjoyed, as I mentioned on the front end, we've enjoyed uh, our previous shows and rubbing elbows with members of the Canaxis team. For the three people out there that may not know what Canaxis does, tell us about what uh, what y'all do at Canaxis.
3: Okay. Um, so we're almost 40 years old as a company. We're headquartered in Ottawa, Canada. Um, And basically, we have one product called Rapid Response, and that product does supply chain planning. And uh, by supply chain planning, I mean everything from forecasting through distribution requirements planning, very strong in the manufacturing world, capacity balancing, and all of that, and then all the way to MRP. And um, we run on a very fast database, uh, proprietary. Uh, So... um, Basically what we're doing is what Kevin was talking about. We're building a digital twin of your company, of your supply chain, and we can very quickly run what if scenarios when there's an event. Uh, We call that concurrent planning. So no more of that cascading, you know, forecast first week of the month, and then this and this and this and and (laughs) everything. And eventually you have an SNOP meeting. Basically uh, the speed between planning and execution is is uh, down to days. Um, so the last thing I'll mention is we're present in pretty much every industry vertical, uh, very strong on the life science side. And we've been recognized by Gardner as being uh, best in breed for, I believe, seven years running now. Uh, Man. So that's my spiel. That is outstanding. Yeah. I want and I want yeah, to highlight ahead, the
2: point that many people think digital twin is in the future, and Alan is telling us no, it's now. It's mm-hmm. being used now to keep, you know, to keep your supply chain together.
1: That's right. Uh, it, whenever I hear digital digital twins, I think of the famous movie with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember that? We need a digital twin <laughs> supply chain meme around that. But uh, okay, I always think of The Shining. So that tells oh, you that's oh, that's a good bit about my personality. <laughs> that's a good one, Greg. Um, and uh, Alan, y'all bought some great resources. This is um, and we've dropped this link in the chat. I love this. Uh, when Polly from Raleigh joined us last time, Greg months ago, uh, this no sooner act faster, remove waste. I love those those good things come in threes. And on the link that we've shared, Alan uh, from Alan the Connexus team, you're going to find events, you're going to find white papers, you're going to find all sorts of uh, use cases for what Kins does and how they're they're serving and moving industry ahead the um,
0: evidence of how committed this organization is a couple of years ago I did an interview a couple interviews. We called it Violent Agreement um, with John Sicard, their CEO oh. and uh, and what we talked about was this notion of constantly relying on just cost and just forecast. Is so detrimental to companies that you have to you have to account for this responsiveness. I believe we were talking about that before COVID. That's
1: right. <laughs> if that lesson, if that if
0: if that didn't put an exclamation point on that lesson, I don't know what would. But yeah, if you want to look back in the Tequila Sunrise archives, I had two episodes with John where we talked about that. It's really impressive how high the 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 philosophy that Alan is talking about goes in the organization and. John does not shy away from opinion or battle. And that's that right. It's really and truly impressive for someone in his role. I saw
3: him this morning, Greg. So I'll say hi for you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: good, good, Hey, well, uh, Alan, say hello to uh, he, uh, John as well as Polly from Raleigh, one of our favorites yeah. around here. Um, and Alan, I'll tell you with what you delivered here today and how you did uh, with passion and big value on on building. Uh, more powerful business relationships, human relationships. I love that, uh, what you brought in uh, the truckload here today. Alan, If I doubt
0: you're going to see Polly in Ottawa this time of year because okay. she's in Phoenix. <laughs> it's
2: too cold. Up I would to...
3: suggest that you go down there like most everybody else in Ottawa does this time of year. We, That's we a good were, tip. We were below 10 degrees Fahrenheit last night. Wow. Ooh.
1: Man. All right. Yeah. So, Alan, uh, we're going to let you go and let you go bundle up perhaps. But how can folks connect with you and the Canaxis team?
3: Well, they can obviously, uh, LinkedIn is a good way to connect. Um, so you I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I don't think there are many allen jocks out there. Um, <laughs> and And you can also follow the company on LinkedIn. Um, but a website's a good place to uh, look for you know what we do and uh, some you know customers that we're working with.
1: I love that. Uh, yeah. Alan, a pleasure to finally oh, yeah. meet you and engage and, and hear your experiences and expertise here today. Thank you so much Thank uh, you for so joining nice. us.
2: <laughs> and we'll, hey, we're,
1: we'll reconnect soon. Uh, yeah. Alan Jacques with Knaxis. Thank you so much. Take Bye. care. Greg and Kevin, man, I love You know, um, right away in the first minute or two with Alan, it really – Shaped my perspective on how I read his articles and, and, mm. and the real, when, when my favorite part in that first article, how we talked about how he still has some of the emails and some of the um, mm. other materials from those, those really um, valuable and trust-filled relationships. He's talking my kind of language, Greg and Kevin. Y'all's quick thoughts, yeah. uh, Greg, start with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I love it when practitioners get into the technology game because they bring so much expertise and especially someone like Alan, who can think beyond how he experienced it in his, you know, relatively narrow um, perspective. Because, you know, software companies work with thousands of companies Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a person in their career might work with a dozen, actually, not even, mostly, (laughs) hopefully, for all of our sake. Um, So, being able to take that perspective and and rationalize that amongst the breadth of companies that a company like Canaxis works with uh, is really powerful and a very rare gift.
2: Agreed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well said, Greg. Kevin?
2: Yeah, I think it's really important uh, how he um, talks about the importance of blending and leveraging both technology and the human, right? Mm. Uh, and building those um, human relationships. To augment the technology and how technology can really augment your humans when we talk about the, the digital twin, and I, and I think that's that's the real value. And I, I, I thank you and um, Scott and, and Greg for for bringing real practitioners onto the buzz, right? Because mm. this is this is unique value that um, I think you know supply chain mm-hmm. now brings. To the industry. So thank
3: you. Yep.
1: Well, Kevin, one minute you want to kick me off. Next minute you're thanking me. So I'm not sure <laughs> I'm staying or going. That, that has hey. Solely to do with tequila, Scott. Solely. Yeah, 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 I'm only yeah. kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> hey, I love I love these uh, digital transformers versions, Greg and Kevin of uh, the the buzz here every third Monday of the month. So Kevin, thanks for being here. And folks, yeah. thank
2: you. Uh,
1: a couple of things as we start to wrap. Uh first off, again, make sure you check out that link we dropped, uh, where you can dive into those Canaxis resources. You can also, as we mentioned, connect with Alan on LinkedIn. You're going to want to do that. You, uh, just like y'all probably saw here today his perspective. It's, it's real. It's genuine. It's been there, done that, and here's how you do it, as Greg was kind of alluding to. So y'all do that. Um, Kevin, folks huh. should uh, connect with you as well on LinkedIn, Digital Trans- Transformers. They can get that wherever they get the podcast from, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And next Monday, uh, the next uh, Digital tra- um, Transformers, is going to be an interview with uh, Ms. Chertres Mosley-Romero. Um, and this is really unique because uh, she is the director of the Indiana Security Council, and she works with both public and private stakeholders to administer and development the implementation of the state's cybersecurity strategy mm. and policy through the governor's executive council. On cyber security, so that was really a fascinating discussion about how the state government is really helping society in cyber security so uh, that's that's going to be dropped uh, on Monday next Wonderful. next Monday.
1: We're going to be talking a lot more about cyber uh, in the weeks and months and years to come for sure. Uh, thank you for that, Kevin. And finally, folks, y'all can find Digital Transformers wherever you get your podcast from. Greg, uh, love your commentaries. You're referencing the one you dropped this morning, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning on LinkedIn. Folks can find your supply chain commentary. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Uh, sometimes depending on the state of my travel, more or less commentary. But today I have <laughs> a lot of commentary and something that has struck, you know, it has just struck me over the last um, couple weeks is these poor companies who are constantly are continually delayed by the delays in their ERP implementations. As I mentioned, mm-hmm. Henry Shine. when I landed there in 2000, Um, and started working with them, they used to say they were in the seventh year of their five-year ERP implementation. (laughs) Um, And uh, and this is a very common thing. In fact, I just talked about a company, Funko, which makes those really cool bobbleheads, last week. And today we're talking about J&J Snacks, which is why we're so concerned about the availability of Minute Maid and Auntie Ann's pretzels and Sour Patch Kids and the Mm. like. So, um, you know, I think I give quite a dialogue around that. And then a potential solution that I've seen companies be really, really successful with as an alternative to counting on ERP to do some very specialized things. Right.
1: So tune in, listen up, engage, drop your comments, uh, both with Kevin and with Greg out across social, whether it's commentaries, podcasts, live streams, you name it. They love, we all love to hear it and read it and lean in. Um, Okay. Big thanks to Greg White. Big thanks to Kevin L. Jackson. Big thanks to our guest today, um, Alan Jacques with Kanaxis. I really enjoyed his perspective. Big thanks to the whole team behind the scenes. Chantel, Amanda, Catherine, Clay, you name it, the whole production crew. Folks, it's Thanksgiving week. Whatever you do, hey, show gratitude. Give thanks. All the food. We have so much to be thankful for, especially mm-hmm. the people that keep global supply chains moving forward. Um, but whatever you do, act on some of the stuff you heard from Alan, Kevin, and Greg. Today. Deeds, not words what life's all about. On that note, we um, will encourage you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. On that note, we we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody.
2: Happy Thanksgiving.
0: Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram.